The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Today we celebrate what has come to be called Palm Sunday, which commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion. Each of the gospel accounts are building towards this week. The crucifixion, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the focal point. It is the point. It is the purpose of all, not only all of what's written in the Gospels, but all of what has been written in the Scriptures, the story of salvation of man. Christ came for the rescue of humankind. There's clear turning points in the Gospels where Jesus sets his sight on Jerusalem. They're they're telling us he was resolved to go and do, to enter into the agony and the victory of the cross for our salvation. And that's what we are celebrating this week. And as I was preparing for the message today, considering Palm Sunday, I had a series of items running through my head that you probably wouldn't usually associate with Palm Sunday. Things such as the pet rock, WWJD bracelets, Gangnam style, Pogs, Cabbage Patch Kids, the Atkins Diet, the Rubik's Cube, and even a little guy we call Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> what do all these items have in common? They were all fads, right? They, they were things that enjoyed their 15 minutes of fame, only to flicker out in the affections of people. But those 15 minutes could burn really bright for some of them. I was reading about Tickle Me Elmo, for instance. I remember Tickle Me Elmo. I was a kid. I think I was, I guess I was eight. It was 1996, eight or nine. And I remember when Tickle Me Elmo came out, it was the must-have item. Every kid wanted it. Every parent was clamoring to get it. People were arrested in shopping centers for fighting each other over this doll. There were reported sales of Elmo, that ranged from $7,000 all the way up to $18,000 for one Tickle Me Elmo doll. But the real kicker was that an employee working one of the Midnight Madness sales around Thanksgiving was stampeded by a crowd of 300 manic shoppers, all vying for the doll, leaving the poor man with a pulled hamstring, injuries to his back, his neck, and his jaw, a broken rib, and a concussion. People lost their minds over this little furry doll, a little red doll that many of our younger friends here may not have even ever heard of, which can only fetch a sum of $50 today, if that. Elmo, along with Pet Rocks and Pogs and WWJD bracelets, all sit at the bottom of storage bins, the bottom of junk piles, junk drawers. Just as fast as the craze started, the craze ended, and we forgot all about him. Now, why was my mind on Tickle Me Elmo this week? (laughs) Because when we read the account of Palm Sunday, we see the same kind of fickle celebration. The reason it's called Palm Sunday is because we read that as Jesus, this is from Matthew, entered the city, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! 
And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We get this picture of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem with this great fanfare. There had been now several years of Jesus' ministry, of people being healed, people being raised from the dead, the lame walking, the deaf receiving sight, three years of his authoritative teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and all of this stirred the people up wondering just exactly what this Jesus was going to do next. The people longed for a deliverer. The people of Israel were looking for a deliverer, and most of them Specifically, we're hoping for a political deliverer, a conqueror to come, set them free from the oppressive Romans, give them their land yet again. But after three years, the people still did not have a grip on what Christ really came to do, on who he was and what God had planned. And so, as we see this scene of people cheering and and throwing their cloaks down before Christ and, and, and fanning palm branches, shouting glad shouts of praise, we see people with fickle hearts who aren't in it for the long haul with Christ. And we know this because in only a few short days, many of these same people who are shouting Hosanna will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him begging that Jesus be put to death, even begging that he be put to death in place of a murderous revolutionary. How did this scene turn so quickly? How on Sunday are people shouting praises to his name and on Friday hanging him on a cross? It's that fickle heart at play that we see with every other passing fad, our hearts latching onto some desire Longing for something to praise and enjoy only to abandon it quickly, either due to disappointment, distraction, or the search for something that satisfies more, looking for a new and, and better affection. We have to confront this about ourselves this morning, and we must do so because tossing a children's toy in the trash is one thing. But burning hot and cold for the Lord of the universe is entirely another. Each and every person in this room and on this earth must decide what to do with Jesus Christ. And Easter reminds us of that. Tickle Me Elmo makes no claims on our lives. It exists purely for entertainment. You can choose to have one or not. You can love it or you can hate it. And there's no consequence on your life either way. However, when we approach the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus who made claims to be the eternal Son of God, Jesus who proclaimed that He was the way and the truth and the life, Jesus who said, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus who said, I'm the bread of life, the living water, Jesus whose death and resurrection are claimed to be the only path for us to be forgiven of our sins and experience experience life with God to save us from eternal separation in utter darkness and torment. This Jesus we cannot so quickly cast aside. What we think about Jesus Christ has eternal consequences. If Christ is who he said he is and he did truly raise from the dead for the forgiveness of sins, 
then there's no room for us to simply cast him off. He cannot be a passing fad in our hearts or in our lives. For any visitors here today, I want you to know from the outset, we unapologetically believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. And because of that, he's the center of all that we do. And it's to the praise and glory of Christ of the Father, the Holy Spirit that we gather together here each week, not just because He is Lord, but because He is good. And I pray you will join us next week as we celebrate His greatest act, the resurrection, as we explore the historical nature of the resurrection and the eternal significance that it has for us. But this week, we're looking at our hearts. We're readying ourselves for that moment. How do we receive Jesus Christ? And how we have to receive him differently than those fickle crowds that we see in Jerusalem, shouting praise to him today and casting him off tomorrow. So to help us think about this, we're going to read a parable you may be familiar with, the parable of the four soils or the four seeds or the parable of the sower, whatever you want to call it. So please turn with me now, if you would, a little further ahead in Matthew, chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. The the interlude there is Jesus explaining to his disciples why he uses parables. We'll talk about that when we hit that section in our study on Matthew. We're just going to look at the parable of the sower, the seeds in the soil today. So let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you meet us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. We ask that you would stir our hearts. We ask that you would break up hardened soil. We ask that you would ready us to receive your word this, this morning. We ask that we would receive Christ Jesus as Lord, that we would bow before him and thank him for the forgiveness that he has given us for our sins. We ask that you would move upon our hearts and upon our lives today through your blessed word. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then he goes on to explain in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. This parable is a great help to us as we consider how we receive Jesus Christ. For those of us who have welcomed Christ into our hearts, There are guardrails and there are warnings given to us in this passage. And to those who have yet to embrace him, there exists an image that we have to deal with. As with all of the parables that Jesus uses, there can be various approaches to understanding them, ways he's using the imagery to teach different things. And in this particular parable, we get this image of a sower. He's going out into a field and he's sowing seed. Now, this isn't like a farmer planting in rows. We see this picture of throwing seeds broadly to see what what takes and where. In this particular parable, some of the elements play double duty. For example, the seed is intended to represent the message of the gospel, the word of the Lord. And for our purposes today, we're going to draw out the specific link with Jesus as Lord as part of that message But we also see later how the seed and its growth represent us as it takes root. We also see how we are the soil. It's the soil that receives the seed, the truth of Jesus Christ, and it's the suitability of the soil that fosters or hinders the seed from flourishing. So there's different ways we can look at the different elements of the parable. Specifically this morning, I want us to focus on how we receive the seed, the seed being Christ and the gospel. One of the things I love about the image that we're given here in this parable is that when the plant fails to grow, it's not the seed who's the problem, it's the soil. The reality is that the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, that he came, that he died on the cross for our sins, that we might be with him eternally in joy, that message is perfect. There is no defect in it. We don't see a lack of growth blamed on the seed. The lack of growth comes in this case from the inhospitable soil. Christ Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the King sitting on the throne of David. Jesus is the resurrected Lord and Savior. The message we receive, the person we are confronted with, the events that we are speaking to with great attention this week and next, the death and resurrection, they are true. And they are life-giving. They are beautiful. And our Lord is a beautiful Savior. If we don't see that, or we think otherwise, it's not because we've perceived correctly. I may think this baby blue carpet is brown, but that doesn't make the carpet brown. It just means I'm colorblind. It's not because there's some flaw in who Christ is or some lack in the gospel message. No, if we find Christ at best dull and at worst deplorable, the problem lies not with him, but with us. So to help us examine our hearts, let's consider and be challenged by the four soils. The hard soil, that's the path, the rocky, the thorny, and the good. So first, the the hard soil. 
We read in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's what's sown along the path. Frequently throughout the scriptures, the Lord describes the heart that's far from him as hardened. We're told to watch that our hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We see Pharaoh's heart hardened toward the Lord as he refuses to allow the people of Israel to leave Egypt. We see our fallen hearts described as hearts of stone prior to the life that's given through accepting Jesus Christ. The soil on the path is the hard heart. Soil that's been compressed and hardened through frequent use. Soil that's tough and impervious. This soil represents a heart that does not have any warmth or receptivity whatsoever to Christ or the message of the cross. And the reality is, we all, apart from the grace of God, start out as the soil on the path. Completely hard. Stone cold towards God. Apart from the tilling and the working of our hard hearts by the Lord... None of us could accept Christ or understand the message of the cross. We can't forget that. We're told in the scriptures, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. All of us, apart from intervention, have hard hearts. Compact soil that's inhospitable to growth. This hardness can come from the sin that we are born with. And through our ongoing sin, we pack it even tighter and tighter and tighter. Paul says in the book of Romans, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I hear that, I picture that, just squashing the truth, compressing our hearts. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been so clearly perceived since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For the hard soil, it's not that no seed fell on it or again that the seed was defective. The problem with the hardened heart is that that seed is unable to sink in, leaving it exposed to be quickly plucked away, as we are told, by the evil one, the devil who makes and takes the gospel message away from those that he can snatch it away from as it lies open on the path, unprotected and unwelcomed in man's heart. Make no mistake, there is an enemy who wants nothing more than for your heart to remain hard and cold towards Christ. He does not want any of us to receive the good news of forgiveness that we can be with God eternally in joy. So what does then this hard-hearted response practically look like? Well, it can take different shapes. When when we see the hard-hearted Pharisees, we see them and they are so blinded by their pride their desire for personal glory and power, that not only do they refuse Christ Jesus as Lord, but they hate Him to the point of putting Him to death on the cross. These men saw the miracles. 
They heard the stories. They met him face to face, yet they still denied all that they saw and all that they heard because of their stubborn blindness. We see skeptical thinkers. For instance, we see the men of Athens in the book of Acts who were told would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. These men actually called the Apostle Paul to themselves that they might hear this strange teaching that had come their way. Yet when Paul laid out before them the reality of the resurrection, the glory of Christ, and the accountability that each and every one of us has to repent before our God, and he challenged them to repent of their sins, we read that some mocked, but others said, we'll we'll hear you again about this. Now this, we'll hear you again, I don't think should be misunderstood. The context of the passage seems to show that these men were neither hot nor cold towards Christ. They just liked philosophizing. They heard the message, they enjoyed thinking about it, but in the end they were still looking for other options, wanting to keep their mind open, unwilling to embrace the truth. Prolonged indifference or unwillingness to accept Christ is just as indicative of a hard heart as outright rejection or persecution of his name. If you're in the room today or you're listening to this message and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to do so this Easter season. I encourage you to do so today. This is what Paul said to the men of Athens, the time of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There's a hope and a warning there in that passage. Christ was raised from the dead. There's our hope. But if we do not turn to him, there is a day of judgment waiting. What happened to the seed on the path? It was devoured by the birds. And if the birds hadn't gotten it, it would have been crushed by wagon wheels or under people's feet. There's no life found on hard soil. There's only death and destruction. And church, again, though we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have to be careful as his followers to not let there be areas of hardness in our lives Perhaps there's a certain truth about Christ you have a hard time accepting, a certain claim he makes on your life that you don't really care for or you're unwilling to submit to. Be warned, hardened soil spreads very quickly. We must make sure our hearts are regularly turned over and over by the Lord and his word that there is receptivity to him and to his truth. Because the possibility exists That our soil may be hard. There's also the possibility that our soil isn't hard and compact. That there can be an appearance of faith, of reception of the Lord. But in the end, we find out that that faith was fleeting. Much like the fickle praises we see in Israel. And that takes us next to the rocky soil. So the hard soil, now the rocky soil. The Lord says, as for what is sown on the rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself. 
but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, we need to touch briefly here on the reality of salvation. I'm firmly convinced from the scriptures that if a person has truly understood the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, later as we get to the good soil, it says, the one who hears the word and understands it, there's a lack of understanding here in the rocky soil and in the thorny soil. I'm firmly convinced that if someone hears and understands the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, places their faith and trust in Him, there is absolutely nothing that can separate Him from the love of Jesus Christ. That person will be with the Lord on the day of salvation. However, there is a reality we are presented with in the Scriptures, that faith, true faith that has received and heard and understood is a faith that perseveres. We must understand this. For the rocky and the thorny soil, the Lord is not depicting a person who truly was sealed by the Holy Spirit in forgiveness of their sins, then somehow falling away from Him. That's utterly impossible. It's as impossible as me putting the world on my back like Atlas and carrying it. It's not going to happen. However, Part of the way that the Lord spurs us on in perseverance is reminding us to watch out for pitfalls, reminding us to keep from dangers that can creep up and prove we only had an insecure and shallow faith all along. That's what the Lord pictures here in the rocky soil. This is what we see of the people cheering the Lord's entrance into Jerusalem. There's real joy. There is real excitement over what's going on, but there was no depth to their faith or their conviction. They had not trusted the Lord in such a way that their faith could endure when the climate changed and when the cultural narrative turned against Christ rather than for Him. In essence, the rocky soil shows the fair-weather fans. These are the people who like the idea of a Savior, like the idea of Jesus, at least the Jesus that they conceive of, but when push comes to shove and things don't go exactly as they had hoped for, they bail. These Israelites loved the idea of Christ's coming as a conquering king and banishing the Romans, but when they realized that he was remaining silent before his accusers, When they realized he wasn't wielding the sword, but was humbly submitting to death, to humiliating death on the cross, they became disillusioned and they deserted him. This is even true of those who were closest to him. For those of us living in America, we've enjoyed for hundreds of years a general cultural acceptance of scriptural values and norms. However, that tide is changing. The biblical worldview is increasingly becoming the minority. And because of this, we will face hardship. If we cling to Christ, we could at times lose jobs, lose friends, face ridicule, scorn, and contempt. The Lord tells us if the world hated Him, it will hate us. It's not inconceivable that a day is coming where I could be thrown in prison for speaking some of the truths from Scripture from this very pulpit. Not only that, but a life lived seeking to follow the Lord in obedience will mean sacrifice. 
The struggle for purity and for holiness, it's not a comfortable one all the time, and it's going to involve stretching. If we approach the Lord expecting Him to keep us from all trouble in this life, expecting Him to give us everything that we desire, expecting Him to essentially be the Lord that we shape in our own minds, then we will not endure. The joy that initially showed itself was shallow. And it was not rooted in the actual love of the Lord or the hope of the salvation that he brings. It was a joy that was not willing to trust the Lord, yet still expected and wanted much from him. We have to seek the Lord for who he is, not who we want him to be. We have to let him transform our hearts and our minds and conform us to God. And when we do this, we will be ready for the day of trial. The Lord has a assured us just as he faced trials, so we will as well. The night he was betrayed, Jesus spent time in prayer, wrestling, knowing what lay ahead, and he invited his brothers, his apostles, to do the same. Instead of praying, they all slept. And because of that, when the heat came, they withered. They were not drawing deeply from the Lord. When we root ourselves in the Lord, when we know His Word, when we delight in His truth, our roots run deep. And we drink from the storehouses when the heat comes. So let's be people who drink deeply of the Lord and who He truly is. And then let's delight in the Lord alone, which is the next soil we see. So we see the hard the rocky, and now the thorny. The Lord says, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Whereas the rocky soil burned up in the heat of trial, the seed on the thorny soil, it has some room to grow. It may even have some roots that go down some ways. The one in the thorny soil may have received the Lord with gladness, understood the need to stand firm in the face of opposition, but did not realize the weeds and the thorns that were occupying the space around it. If I had to pick a soil, which I think is one of the greatest risks for us in this room, I think it's this one. It's interesting that the Lord points out specifically the deceitfulness of riches. We've had several weeks in a row now where this theme has come up for us. We live in a rich area, and much of us, by global and historical standards, are rich beyond most people who've walked this earth, their wildest imaginations. When we hear the warning of riches, our our ears need to perk up. The weed that rises up in this scenario could be any number of things. It simply says the cares of the world. If the rocky soil was the fair weather fan, then the thorny soil is the distracted people. The threat here can range from seemingly innocuous to the nefarious, but it's anything that steals our hearts away from God and causes our love for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to grow cold. Take riches, for example. We're people who are made to know and to remember our need for the Lord. So when riches increase, often we lose sight of our need, our persistent need, And of the reality that it's the Lord who has given us all that we have. Our prosperity can lull us into a false sense of comfort. Leading us even to forget our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins. 
don't get too comfortable in this world. Another way faith can be choked out is the deceitfulness of sin. Loving this world means loving the things of this world. And what most prominently makes this world and marks it are the behaviors of this world. When we forget the sweetness of the Lord, when we fail to turn to Him as Lord, we can be tempted to think that there are things that could satisfy us more. Think of of this as the one hour after opening Christmas presents syndrome. The toys that excited us one hour ago now lay rejected in the corner, never to be touched again. They become unsatisfied. And we do this with the Lord. We lose sight of Him. And rather than returning to Him, we seek satisfaction in other things. We begin making excuses for our behavior so that we can engage with sin. We twist the Scriptures to meet our needs. We, we rationalize what we do, and little by little, whatever faith that there was in our hearts grows cold. The weeds come up and they choke. This can happen in much, much less obvious ways as well. Indifference and distraction are silent killers. Paul states in the book of 1 Corinthians that he wishes that all could be single as he was so that they could give undivided attention to the Lord and His mission. There's a reality that the cares of this world can steal our mind from Christ. Work, school, kids, marriage, the list could go on. If we're not careful, these things can balloon and grow bigger and bigger in our sight, and the Lord slowly shrinks and takes a back seat. Suddenly, we don't have time to read His Word. We don't have time to pray. If we're honest, we don't really want to. We can't make it to church with God's people because we're exhausted from the week or we have other things on the schedule. And again, little by little by little, compromises are made until cracks develop and faith is destroyed. Faith gets choked out. I've unfortunately seen this too many times already in my short life. Church, we need to keep Christ Jesus as our first love, clinging to Him and delighting in Him above all else. And as we strive to do that, we will show ourselves to have good soil. So we have the hard, the rocky, the thorny, and now the good. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another Thirty. It's interesting that he says, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. As we said, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, they didn't truly understand the word of the Lord. If they had, they would not have become thorny and rocky. But the good soil is the soil that reflects ears that hear, a heart that receives, and a face that perseveres. And before going any further, I want us to say again and remember again together, lest any of us get puffed up in our thinking, I'm the good soil, the Lord can really work in me. Let's remember it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation from beginning to end is something that we can only thank the Lord for. 
When we respond in faith, which we must do, we respond to His call on our lives by His power with the faith that He has given us. We must seek the Lord that we might have the good soil. The soil that's nutrient-rich, that's well-tilled, that has plenty of water and produces an abundant fruit. When we see Jesus Christ for who He is, when we hear the message of salvation and understand, when we're transformed by it, we enjoy a rich harvest of blessing. Life with the Lord, living according to His ways, is a good thing. We're freed from condemnation and guilt. And we can live the life that God has intended us to live. Far from religion being stuffy and God being a killjoy, when we see the Lord and respond to the call, holding Him in our hearts as our greatest affection, we will experience life abundant. It is the only way to do so. The person who seeks the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, experiences fruitfulness. We experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're told against these things, there's no law. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. These things produce life and joy. And when we turn to the Lord, this is the fruit that He can bear and work in us. We experience the fruit of good works done for the sake of others to the glory of God. When we live for Christ, we have eternal purpose and utility in the kingdom. If you are here and you feel purposeless, you wonder why you were put on this earth, this is it, to glorify God, to enjoy Him, to the betterment of others and to your soul's delight. When we're planted in the good soil, we will radiate the love of Christ to those around us. Just think of, I was thinking of the picture of a plant. You see the difference. One that's well watered, well fed, and then the one that's withering, sagging, and and drooping. Church, as we approach Holy Week, let's ask the Lord that we might be the good soil, delighting in Christ above all else. Take time this week to meet with Him, to ask Him to stir your heart that you might Feel fresh joy and conviction over what he has done. One of the ways my initial analogy of fads really breaks down is that things of this world actually do disappoint. There's a reason we move on from them. The shine wears off. The mechanisms break. Something newer and better will come out next week. That is not true with Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can satisfy like our Lord. Nothing can produce fruit in our lives like Him in the gospel. There is no other way of salvation that's going to come along that will give us the peace and the life that He gives. As we look ahead to celebrating the resurrection next week, let's ask the Lord to till our hearts. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do so today. And if you have, ask Him that you would be firm and steadfast Ask Him that you would love Him above all else. Ask Him to help you to set distractions aside that you might seek Him with zeal and passion. Ask Him that you might enjoy Him for who He is. This week we celebrate our great King and what He has done for us. Let's receive Him with glad shouts of praise, a praise that endures into eternity. Let's pray for that together now.
Father, we come before you recognizing that we are weak. We are so easily distracted. Our hearts, affections can so easily be pulled in many different directions. And I just pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be a people who burn passionately for you. That we would be a people who cling to you. That we would be a people who have ears who can hear, hearts that can receive. Lord, we ask that whatever hard areas of our hearts exist, that you would break them up. This week, Lord, if there are strongholds in our heart that are stealing our joy, stealing our affection, pulling us away from you, we ask that you would turn them over. Lord, soften us, and we ask that you would bear good fruit through us. We pray, Lord, that as people enter into these doors in this church, that they would see a field of beautiful, fragrant flowers reaching up for the sun. Lord, and you do this through your power. We ask that you be with us today. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.